Hello, it's Bronwyn here. Welcome to another episode of Singing Teachers Talk. Our guest today is a singer, vocal coach and composer. She also runs no less than five community choirs, one of which is based in Wandsworth Prison. So without further ado, welcome to the show, MJ Paranzino. Hello, Bronwyn. Hello, everyone. <laughs> so how are you going? And um, how are things for you at the moment? Are you back to full full capacity with your choir is everyone back singing face to face or where are you with that yes i mean well we we um we started up the four community choirs that are not in prison so that all started in september it's um not to capacity like it used to be and i'll, I'll give you a perfect example the uh, south london choir which is located in balham usually has 125 singers on the tuesday night and um we're hitting 50 and um, and I think that's just because people are being cautious and a little bit uh, concerned. But I think that all will change as time goes on. Uh, look, people are going to football matches and festivals and things like that. Nobody's worried. But it has been a little bit of a stigma around sig- singing. So I hope it disappears soon um, to the distress of all of us who are singers and and understand the joy that singing brings and the sense of well-being it brings, a sense of community and friendship and camaraderie. And um, and uh, I know that soon that will return, but it's not there yet. So talking about bringing singing to people, tell us about your work in prisons and how you um, started the Liberty Choir and, and how all that kicked off. Yes, okay. Well, um, Liberty Choir started really from a dream in that, all my community choirs, we've always gone to uh, places uh, uh, where um, possibly vulnerable people or people with disabilities or people um, that uh, weren't thought of. And, um, and one of the things was to be involved in prison work. It took a very long time to get Liberty Choir established because most of when you would contact the prisons, they would say, MJ, you come in and sing with the men or the women. And I would say, no, I have to bring members of the community choir in. And oh, and they would worry about that security, what would people be like? And But to me, it's important that it is just about the singing and the performance. It is about community and understanding uh, people and and knowing that not everybody's all bad. There's there's many multitudes of reasons why people end up in prison, and um, and so that took ten years to get started. I think the first time we got to go into prison was with my Brighton City Singers, and that was back in like two thousand and three. And um, and that was and I worried that night, the night before I worried, I thought, oh, what am I doing to everybody? Taking them into prison to sing. You know, I couldn't sleep. And we went in and it was just fantastic. And afterwards, I think there were like 25 choir members that went in with me and they said, oh, my God, when can we do it again? And and then we couldn't get back in. We couldn't get back in. Um, uh, There was something that happened within like a two week period and there was a lockdown. And then when we were scheduled to get in, the person who was our uh, the person that believed in us didn't say that they were leaving the job. And then I couldn't get back in. And um, and and then that was the beginning of the pursuit to get back into prison. We always joked that it was harder to get into prison than it was to get out. But what happened from that first experience? We sent music uh, at the end of this wonderful performance. 
and um, singing with the guys. And we did uh, Down by the Riverside. Um, I can't remember what pop song we did, but we did a classical piece Down by the Riverside, some pop, some musical theater. And then a bunch of guys, about five of them came up and said, we have a singing group. Do you have any music you can share? And we sent music. And uh, there was a couple letter writings that went on afterwards. And um, and that was the beginning, the understanding that actually it worked. And even the guy that sat in the corner of the room with his hands folded at the end was singing along with us, smiling, swaying and clapping. And you knew that it doesn't, doesn't matter how tough someone is or what their image is. Singing is wonderful and it's universal and you relax and you giggle and you laugh together. And it's just a groovy thing to do. And it's contagious no matter what your mood is, you know, it's just contagious. Well, that was so what I wanted it, to ask you. Do you, did you worry when you started going in, you push, push, push for 10 years to, to get to go in. Did you worry that you might just have a couple of kind of keen choir members and then other guys that just aren't interested? Did you think this could, this could, you know, maybe wind up, you know, me, <laughs> me and a group of, of uh, fellow singers and, and that it wouldn't, it wouldn't work. Yeah, I mean, I didn't worry about that because because I know and understand what happens as a musical director. Many musical directors know what happens. People are transformed by music um, uh, in prison. The opportunity to get out of your cell and have an activity is so valuable. You're going to have people that are going to take you on anyway. They can still be miserable and cranky while they're there if they choose to be. But. Odds are it's it's that thing to understand that 20, 25 people have come in from the outside who don't know who you are and have decided to come in prison and spend the afternoon with you an hour, two hours. And anybody that's in prison knows how hard it is. The process of getting in and getting out is very difficult. And so they will appreciate it and respect that. And um, and then and then once they come into the room and it, they understand and they start talking and socializing together. And then you sing together. When you leave, like anybody, you have a skip in your step. You have a smile. Your burdens have been lifted for an hour or two hours. And um, your pain is lifted if you have some kind of chronic pain or some kind of disability. Everything is lifted and it hangs with you when you leave. And, and so because we know that this happens with singing and inquire, especially this, this strange thing that happens when you breathe together, it's a guarantee people are going to come back. Not only are they going to come back, but they're going to tell their cellmate about it. And um, my, my, my wife, Ginny uh, Duggery, um, always tells a wonderful story about one of the guys. Um, he had a very thick, you know, London accent and um, talks about, you know, that nobody could believe his friends that he was singing in a choir. And, uh, you know, he went back to his cellmate and said, you got to come. It's just fun and it's great and you'll feel good afterwards. And when he got transferred from Wandsworth prison to another prison, he set up a choir. And do you feel like you've learned a lot from that experience of going into a prison? Sure. I mean, before we got into prison, uh, we were in the forensic psychiatric ward at uh, Springfield Hospital, which is people that have um, usually schizophrenia, schizophrenia or some type of um, psychotic you know, uh, problem, and they've caused um, 
uh, they've committed some type of crime that uh, to others or to themselves. And so they've been committed in a secure ward. That was the first place we could get into. So it's sort of similar to a prison. But, you know, I know uh, that people are transformed. So I, I really I didn't have a problem with understanding that uh, people would be transformed. But I'm not just talking about prisoners or people who are ill when you go in or senior citizens or people who have neurological diseases. I've done all that throughout my whole life. Um, the people who are also transformed are the people that are participating in community choir because it's, it's, it's the interaction with human beings. You know, when we have in our families, people who have mental illness or drug addiction or who are terminally ill or seniors or with dementia, we understand um, how important it is to still embrace them and love them, no matter what the roller coaster ride is with the family member or the friend. And sometimes in life, you are isolated from that. You've you know, you don't have those experiences often never or as often. And so when you when you do, but you want to be involved in people's lives, you understand that being part of people's lives is really what enriches you as a person. And it enriches, it's not, it enriches your heart. It enriches how you perceive others. So when you walk by somebody in the street that you know has some of these issues, or you, a friend has some of these issues, then you actually know how to um, react to them or embrace them. That not everybody is evil. There's something going on that caused the problem. And would you like to see a Liberty Choir rolled out in every prison? I, uh, you know, do, would you like to see this, if it has such a transformative effect, you know, rolled out into other places? Yes. I mean, our dream is to be in every prison in the UK and sometimes expand, someday expand to America. Um, I, I'm big on, I want music to be in all prisons, no matter what shape and form it takes. But I do know that choir with people coming from the community is key. It's great to do a good deed and go in and do a two week performance or a one-off session, but it's another thing to go in every week year round, every week for an hour or two hours and interact with people and be there when they come out and be available uh, because there you've developed comradeship, friendship, you've fellowship with them through music. So you understand and you've, you've met people at the worst time in their life and you've accepted them, the whole person. And so that's that's a, something wonderful then. There's an understanding. And they've done the same thing for the people coming into the choir. There's posh people, people who struggle through their lives, people who are dyslexic. You get to meet all these different people because that's the world, isn't it? And and so then there's an understanding of each other. And, and the one thing that I know is that in this world, there are more people that want to make a difference, that don't want to just sit on the fence. They may not be able to give their time week in and week out, but they might be able to give an afternoon of a couple hours. And, and they may have skills that I don't have. They may have been teachers or lawyers or therapists or fathers or mothers. 
Um, they may have been addicted to drugs or dyslexic. We all have something, okay? And, you know, it's wonderful if we're one in a million. We've never had a problem before ever in our life. <laughs> but I don't think, I think everybody's had something. And that's why we can relate to each other. And so growing up, what were your experiences of choir? Because you you obviously have a very inclusive approach to choir singing. But um, for me, and probably for a lot of people, when we were growing up, choir singing was quite elite. It was something that people with musical skills and a musical background did. So what were your early choir experiences like? Well, I mean, so I came from a very loving family, large Italian-American family. Everybody sang. Uh, I remember five years old wanting to play the piano and uh, and then as the years went on when I could uh, when I learned how to read chords and so I could uh, change a song into any key and I could my father loved to sing he loved Sinatra and he would sing my way all of me and I could change the key for his range and he had a great voice and stuff and I could do it for all the relatives so you know Saturdays and Sundays were fantastic. Everybody was singing around the piano. It was really, though, when my parents, um, you know, working hard, we moved to a better neighborhood. And this school had a choir. And, um, and, and of course, I was, I was born with a voice, so it was easy for me to get in the choir. And, and the musical director was fantastic. And I remember... Um, the first time, two things. The first time I heard Mozart's Laudate Dominum, and I just thought I died and went to heaven because I grew up on Sinatra, Louis Prima, Dean Martin, and I'm sure I heard choral music, but I never really understood that I heard all that. Okay, and 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 the first time I heard and saw a cello played. And I probably had seen that in my life, you know, because we'd always go to Sinatra was in town. My father got tickets. OK, so there were cellos in the orchestra. But the first time I actually saw the instrument and heard it played. And, you know, I'm 13, 14 years old at this point. And that was it. That was the beginning. So I had these very inclusive music teachers who embraced all styles of music, but so knew how to talk to you about classical music, but also knew how to talk to you about pop music and musical theater. So I was fortunate in that. And also um, embraced that, that I didn't have the background that other kids that were interested in music had, where they had uh, good schooling, understood music theory, all that stuff. I was kind of learning by observing. So I'm a different, I'm that kind of kid. I'm not, I don't like to read, okay? But, uh, but I, I, can, I can fake my way through things, okay, and and I can pick up things. So I learn quickly and I perceive patterns, the wonderful thing that music does, okay. It teaches you a lot of stuff without you doing the nuts and bolts that you would do with a book learning. You're learning through music. I mean, you think about choral music, what do you learn? You learn about math and perceiving patterns and, and social history and reading. You know, there, there's all this stuff that you're learning through choral music and uh, and and playing the piano and all that stuff. So, so I, I guess I was, as fortunate and again that I was born with a gift a gift I never had to work at so it was easy okay I opened up my mouth I could sing operatically I could sing pop you know and so so that opened the door for me in every way possible and uh so so I I I was lucky and I know you were a performer for many years but when you made that transition from performer to leading a choir 
was that just something that happened naturally or did you actually make a decision to sort of move into that area? Well, so I've been a choir person since I was 13. And then, you know, um, I was in a magical group, close harmony group. As a performer, I had my band and then my band transitioned to a close harmony group. And um, uh, so singing and singing with other voices was all is always been a part of my life. So when I came to the UK, uh, 20 some years ago, um, I knew that I would not have a recording career anymore and a a concert career. And I couldn't start out like I was 20. And so the the natural thing was for me to uh, do choirs and and the other things that I was still doing, which was vocal workshops, motivational motivational seminars and uh, workshops for public speaking and things like that, because as a vocalist, those those are your assets, aren't they? And um, I was fortunate enough um, because of my background um, that when I first came here, I was working with indie bands, retired rock stars, things like that, which gave me a little bit of notoriety for people to pay attention to me. And uh, my first choir was the Brighton Choir, the Brighton City Singers. And then and then it went on from there to South London Choir, West London Choir and the Hastings Town Singers. Did I get all four in or what? I think you got all four. That was good. <laughs> and so that's what I was going to say. What advice would you have to um, vocal coaches or, or, or seeing teachers thinking about setting up their own choir? What what sort of advice would you give them? Well, I mean, you know, everybody's different. I, I because I'm big about community and embracing everybody. Um, I, I'm a community choir person who likes to do choirs that are non-auditioning, who um, encourage people who have been choir people to people who have never done it before and everything in between. And, and, and I don't worry about whether people can read music or not. They're still going to be handed music. They still make, might do, uh, for instance, Vaughn Williams toward the unknown region or uh, March of the Toreadors from Carmen. Um, uh, at the same time, they'll do Uptown Funk and Bob Marley's One Love. OK. And uh, Hamilton, My Shot. Uh, I want people to know that you can learn anything. You don't learn it in an instant but you can learn anything and, and that that's okay that it might take the community choir a year and a half to do the Vaughn Williams toward the unknown region. And there might be sections that we never quite get right, but that's okay. Now they know how beautiful it is. They, they hear it. They're going to want to listen to it. If it comes around in the concert, they're going to want to go. Same with the Carmen, same with doing Hamilton because because they've experienced it. And, and I always think back in the 1700s, 1600s, 1800s, before television and radio, people were singing at home together and they were going to live concerts in the home and people were performing. And not everybody is the best performer. That's okay. It's about the music. There are people that want to do choirs of excellence. They audition them. They're worried about the blend etc. Fantastic. It's not my bag. My bag is bring lots of people together. Some people may squeak and squawk more than others. That's okay. Because the majority of people, the blending will work and there will be these fantastic moments. And some of the people that were squeaking and squawking and couldn't find their sound will eventually find their sound. And they'll have that opportunity to do that. So if they got crushed early on, 
because somebody said, oh, don't sing. Ooh, are you not? They, they have a chance now to erase that and discover sound because it is a discovery, isn't it? Singing is, is listening and making sound. It's both. And it's knowing self, this, this wonderful instrument that's inside of us. It's not outside our body. It's from within. And, and we know ourselves better than anyone else. So singing gives you that chance to explore that, the breathing and the muscle and where does the airflow go and, and the joy of making sounds, even if they're nasally, you know, this thing, you know, I'll say to people, so say the word W-H-A-T, you can say what, you can say what, what, what. Okay, you have lots of choices, you know, and I, uh, when people come for voice lessons, I say, so now when you go out this week shopping and you go to the cashier, um, you know, examine how they use their voice. And then the next person you see at the garage, how do they use their voice and what muscles are they using? Do they use their whole palate? Do they use their whole self or are they only using one section of self? Okay, in their lower in their lower jaw, because that's a lesson in life. Really? I mean, do you just use a smidgen? We all get used to just using a little bit, but we have this whole person we can use, this whole thing we can explore. And that's what singing does. It gives you that gift to know that you're much more than what you've been giving to people. You're much more. The thing that you were when you were a toddler and free and you get excited about things, we see it in little kids. We're all the same. We're still that toddler, but we've gone through life and we, we've made mistakes or we were worried about what people thought. So we control things. And, um, and, and my thing is we're a cheese toasty. The cheese is going to go on either side and, 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 and go and melt out. And then you trim the edges. Don't try to control it. Let go in the right setting <laughs> you did go. you find um did you find a difference between british and americans in that sense that british have that stiff upper lip thing do you is that am i imagining that or did you find there was a difference in the way that they approach singing yes okay. so two things okay so what i love about england is how the english embrace choral singing so in America, it's a very pop culture. So you have a group that's in the choirs, but it's a pop culture. So you're always kind of outside the field, okay, as a choir person in America. But in England, lots of people sing in choirs. They get it, okay? They understand it. I, I remember the first time, even though it's a religious program, the first time I saw so Songs of Praise, I thought, ooh, they have a program about people singing songs. <laughs> I mean, I know it was religious, you know, but I, I just thought, how amazing is that? Okay. And um, so that I really loved. I love that England embraces the arts. Fantastic. Um, yes. It takes a while for people to free up. Okay. There's a little bit of holding back, but people, people do want to let go. And, um, and, but you have to figure out a way as a musical director to do that in a way that doesn't frighten people. How do you loosen people up? and not frighten them. And that's a technique because, you know, it's like a clown, a clown's in makeup and uh, is, walks up the kids. And if the clown goes, oh, hi, uh, you know, at, at a loud voice, well, the, the child's gonna be petrified. But if you go in ease, 
and ease in the child is going to embrace this whole experience of this weirdo dressed up in makeup with a red nose. Okay. And won't frighten the kid. And I think that's the same thing that you do with community choirs when you're doing all styles of music, you know, how do you get people to relax? How do you get them to be able to sway or clap or smile? So like when I'm doing warmups, you know, I might turn to the sopranos and I say, Oh my God, you all look miserable. Could you smile? And then everybody, while they're doing the warm, they'll, they'll giggle and start to smile because sometimes you don't even realize that you look miserable. You may not be miserable, but but you're given that vibe because you just don't realize. You've come from work, you're rushing, you're you're concentrating on yeah. But what's the point if you're not smiling and and feeling the goodness of the breath and singing? And, and that's it, that, that's one way of easing people in and then eventually you know, giving people permission to sway. OK, you know, if we're doing a song like that, you know, I'll say it, it's not Mozart. So, so you're actually if you're feeling the groove, you're allowed to sway. And 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 of course, sometimes people don't know how to sway. No one's ever taught them, you know, uh, uh, you know, their their legs are going up in the air. They're moving erratically, bumping into people. They're not sure what to do. So sometimes you actually have to teach that. How do you teach people how to relax and and be together? It's, it, it is a process, but you can ease people into it and get them to be relaxed and uh, come up with vocal exercises that relax people. So, so my thing is because community choirs, are, my community choirs are not about um, auditioning and our excellence comes from uh, enjoying the singing and that and and being confident that it'll be fantastic with the end result because it's relaxed. Um, and, and so for vocal exercises, I, I will do the same thing often. And it's 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 about the squeak and the squawk. And, and I'll give you a perfect example. I, I, I'll say to them, we're going to do two. Oh. Well, most people can do that. And that's from the highest register to the lowest register. So if you can make all that sound, that means you can sing all those notes. You may not prefer to sing that high note because you're an alto or a bass. Okay. But it exists. Okay. So if it exists, it means you could sing it if you could find a pathway there. And if you explain to people that holding sound is the same as speech, except you're holding it longer. So if you break it down into those simple forms, you, you'll see people in the room going, oh, right. And sometimes I'll say, you may not understand what I'm talking about. Store it in your brain. It might take two years. One day you'll say, oh, that's what MJ was talking about. And it's okay if you don't get it immediately. Who cares? Who's paying attention? <laughs> what are the other challenges you think that you faced uh, when you sort of, I mean, you're dealing with choirs, you're dealing with huge numbers as well in your choirs. What, what are the other sort of big things that obviously you probably don't face them now, but when you started out, you, you found challenging? Well, I mean, like any choir, you're always looking for men initially, okay, um, because you want people to experience three and four part harmony, not unison singing or two part harmony. Um, also, the idea. So none of all my choirs, nobody does a solo. It, it's all about the choir. 
and uh, for people to understand that that's really what it's about. Um, and I think just getting, I, I, I think often sometimes the challenge is too that you want to bring every age group, every ethnic background, uh, every kind of background into choir singing. So it, it really is a community. I don't think I've really ever faced, you know, I'm always going to present a song and I'll know in two weeks if it's going to work. And if it doesn't, I just put it away and we go to something else. And I'll give you a perfect example, something that I love. I, I love tremendously. And right now the composer left my mind, but it's a word, choral word thing called geographical fugue. Okay. And it's all about rhythm. That's all it is. It's just rhythm, speaking rhythm. Most of the choir hates it. I bring it back about every four or five years in the hope <laughs> that someday I'll be able to perform it with everybody. And it's really because it's very difficult, okay? So they can get through the, like the first three pages and by the time it's eight pages, by the time you get to page four, you can just see the exhaustion on their face. Like, why, why are you doing this to us? You know, but, but I always bring it back and, and they joke about it, you know, cause longstanding members, you know, the people in the choirs, 10, 15, 18 years. <laughs> And I'll pull down and go, oh, no. And I was like, well, let's just see what happens. You know, because every now and then you think, okay, there's enough people in the choir that actually read music that will make the other people soar. Because that's the other thing, isn't it? Like in life, um, you know, you have a group of friends and, and there's one who's really good at something and one mediocre at something, whatever. And But as a group, you soar because of this balance between someone who's really good at something. It's the same thing that happens in choir in the soprano section. You might have two really fantastic first sopranos and everybody else really is a second soprano. Okay. And some people really aren't, but they think they should sing soprano because they don't want to learn harmony in the alto section. So then a soprano section. And, and because you have those two really good first sopranos, and as they get to become comfortable with music and they start to understand it and they can hear them and they can hear their approaches, all of a sudden you have like eight sopranos who are doing what those first sopranos did because not only are they comfortable with the music, but they're hearing how they approach sound. And that's like a fantastic reward for a musical director. I'm like, I'm loving that. That's just fantastic. And that just goes to show you, you know, what happens in a group. It's fantastic. And, and everybody's so proud, you know. Eh. And so you've had um, some singers keep coming to you for 18 years. That's a pretty impressive track record. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's matter of fact, funny. Uh, it's just happened because everybody's coming back after this 18 months of, you know, no singing together. And um, and it was spontaneous. It happened both at the Brighton and the South London Choir, um, uh, where people got up and said, uh, I just want you to know that I've been coming for because a couple new people came and the numbers aren't that big. I do a thing at halftime and I say to people, does anybody have the, okay, here's the scoop. Everybody comes every week. So sometimes you need a carpenter or a plumber. Wouldn't it be good to ask the people you see every week? They're usually from your neighborhood. Okay. They're going to know who the good plumber is and who the good electrician is, et cetera. Or they might be selling something or whatever. So I always say, does anybody have any joys or concerns, issues, depressed, confused, need an electrician or a plumber? And then somebody will raise their hand and say, I need a plumber or I'm trying to sell this. If you know anybody wants a desk, I'll give it to them. Okay. Anyway, just spontaneously, both Brighton and South London Choir said, I just want you to know that this week I have been at the South London Choir for 
14 years. We just celebrated. And um, and then, you know, it happened in Brighton. And once somebody does it, then somebody else stands up and somebody else stands up. And and what happened last week at South London, um, one of the Sopranos got up and said, because uh, we were talking about Liberty Choir and how difficult it is to get into prison still to do the program. And we've been doing radio programs and letter writing campaigns and care packages to let the men and women know that they're not forgotten, but we can't get in. And uh, she, she got up and said, you know, I came from work. Uh, she's a single parent, came from work, rushing, lots of anxiety, worried I was going to be late. And here we are. And within 15 minutes, I'm smiling, I'm talking, I'm meeting new people, I'm meeting old friends. God, I really miss this. Isn't it great? And we're singing this song. You know, she went through the whole thing because I think we're, we're doing Mozart Lacrimosa and uh, Greece, uh, we go together and um, uh, surfing USA, <laughs> you know, so we have this mix of songs. And then, and then somebody else, Eddie, got up and said, well, you know, it's the same things that happens with the guys. The first time they come, they're just coming because they want to get out of the cell. And there it is, two hours, they can get out of their cell. But then they come back the following week, and they're coming back for the same reason that we come back, because of the people that you meet in the choir because of this thing that happens when you sing together and how you feel. And then, and, you know, it went on, it went on. I had to stop everybody. I said, we're going to sing now. Can we all stop? And, um, and, and that was this spontaneous thing that happened. Okay. Of, uh, and, and it is because numbers are low. Everybody's so glad to see each other. And I think there's this worry, you know, there were, I think four new people that came or something that they wanted them to know you know, what it really is all about. It is about the singing, of course. It is about the concerts, of course. It, it's about the adventures that we have when we go to festivals and do these different things. But it's so much about meeting up every week and singing together and what that does to you in that room together, singing a song, breathing together, smiling and interacting or when you do Lacrimosa and you feel this wonderful um, uh, weave, carpet weave that Mozart has written that each part, even though three of them are harmonies, all of them are, are a melody. All of them are exquisite. Um, uh, often I'll have everybody sing all the different parts, learn all the parts just for the fun of it, even though, you know, sopranos, kind of panic about the whole thing, just so that they have the experience to understand the thread that's going on underneath. And then we'll, we might do it a cappella, just one page. We can't do the whole thing, you know, just one page. And then the piano part will come in and I'll say, so here it is, this requiem, this death march, and yet there's a waltz going on underneath it. How magical is that? Yeah, sure. Well, listen, it's been so lovely to talk to you um, and to hear your uh, about your experiences. But before we let you go, what is in store for you the, the rest of this year and uh, 2022? What what are you planning? Well, I mean, for the community choirs, um, you know, it's just to get them back to where they were. Normally we do the Brighton Fringe every May, uh, lots of festivals. Um, we normally at Christmas time are singing at the VNA. 
And um, so we're hoping that some of these things open up. Brighton Fringe has opened up um, and that the venues uh, where we would do these concerts, you know, are still going to be open. Um, so we're kind of I'm just kind of waiting and hoping. And as soon as I can get us to, to do things, we'll be doing them. Um, uh, so that's the community choirs with the Liberty Choir. Um, we're already going to be starting in the women's prison, Downview, HMP, Downview Prison, uh, which is in um, Sutton area. Uh, the first week in November, we'll probably be at HMP Send by the end of the year. And then uh, Wandsworth, Brixton, Lewis, um, and a couple others going into 2022. They're still on a high level of, uh, of risk. And, uh, but that's the key. Um, uh, just hired uh, lots of musicians to go into the program. But if anybody's ever interested in being involved in Liberty Choir or working for Liberty Choir, all they have to do is go to the website and contact uh, us through the website. And we'd love for them to participate. Anybody can be a Liberty Choir volunteer. They just have to contact us and the same with musicians always looking for great accompanists and great musical directors um who um i'll train in the mj method of singing. <laughs> well that ties in perfectly with what i've got written down here i have got liberty choir's website libertychoir.org go along and also there's a page there where people could make a donation if they think that uh, they like the sort of the sort of ethos uh, that Liberty Choir is uh, is sort of operating on, they could go along and maybe give a little donation. Might be nice. Broadwind, that is perfect. <laughs> they can do it on PayPal. There you go. <laughs> there we go. Well, listen, MJ, thank you so much. I really appreciate talking to you and uh, good luck with it all for the rest of the year and for 2022. Fellow Curious Voice Nerd, have you got your ticket to our next event yet? Well, head over to www.basstraining.com forward slash store and we'll save you a seat. That's www.bastraining.com forward slash store. Don't worry, you haven't totally missed out on our past events. A recording is waiting for you there too. You probably want to sign up to our mailing list though, just to make sure you never miss another cordial invitation. So follow the link in our podcast description to join. See you at the next one.